Johnson and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. with my Nexus nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in Excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums and oh so much more. Well hello, welcome to Nexus Access All Areas, episode Sequa Centennial B. <laughs> 150. I've been practicing that word for three hours. <laughs> Do you want to then say it again, but you've been practicing. Sequa Centennial episode of NXS Access Hilarious, episode 150, the podcast that dives deep into all things great about this band, doing with a bunch of compadres, patrons and fans around the world, and also my partner in crime, B. How are you? I wasn't going to get you to try pronounce that No, word. thank God you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. thank you for that. Thank you for sparing everybody for hearing me say that. So, yeah, 150, mate. High five. High five. <laughs> and thank you to everybody out there who's helped us get to this level. But uh, as a young Australian growing up, we had a thing called the Bicentennial, which uh, back in the late 80s was uh, our 200th anniversary as a, as a country. And the English sort of denomination of uh, 150 was not a, a word that I knew. So I had to Google and go, what is what is the actual word for 150? And it is, uh, well, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, sequicentennial. So there you go. We're at 150, not quite the bicentennial, but uh, celebrating 150 episodes. We're pretty giddy about last week's one, aren't we, B? And we're really happy to make Bruce part of 150 again, aren't we? Yes. Um, yeah, it was great. Got lots of good feedback about last week's episode. We were like kids, weren't we? Well, we were. Coming I, out. You, you, you did remind me, Tay, and I have to confess and declare yeah. that I was uh, completely unprofessional last week. I talked over Bruce a number of times, no. purely out of joy. Yes. And glee for what he was saying, and my, you know, like a kid on red cordial and chocolate, you know, at nine years of age, like I was. Uh, I was so eager to sort of get the next question out or elaborate on things. Uh, I did cut Bruce off a couple of times with Bruce. It was just because we loved having you on here. Well, ditto. I did the same, so don't worry. I think uh, people know what we're like. Yes. Guess a little bit of feedback. Um, I know Bruce did come back to you. I think B. I don't know if you're going to say it now or later, but there were a couple of dates uh, and a few things that about. Uh, coming up with the new release, uh, Rooms to the Memory. Well, he did say that they were all going to watch the video and um, we we should know a release date for that too. Bruce um, just confirmed that the first digital streaming single of Adelita, the version, followed then by Michael's version, followed then by the physical release. So we'll have the two digitals first um, and then he's going to supply us with all the um, pre-order links as well, but confirming that Adelita single will be coming out on June the 16th. Right. And Michael's single will be coming out on June the 30th. EP digital and physical then will be coming out on July the 14th. So a whole month nearly. 
um, beforehand. Oh, okay. exciting. Yeah. It's always great having new stuff come out, even if it's a little bit reworked, you know, uh, packaged around something old and nostalgic because, you know, it does add to the collections. Uh, hello, David, Gordon, Pedro, and all your collectibles. Um, but it is great having something sort of remembered or, you know, reinvigorated with modern technology because, you know, what sometimes, you know, nostalgia is, it's about coming up with something and reinventing it a bit. Like my mate Tarantino, who I always talk about, you know, he takes old ideas and makes them new. So, yeah, but look, it'd be really interesting to see this happen and hopefully there is the install appearances from Ollie and it does get a little bit of a mainstream release and does create some traction there and create good vibes uh, because uh, that's what a classic is in a way, uh, something that holds up over time and uh, it was great that a lot of Aussie artists got together to give this another life anyway, Pete. And also, don't forget, this is going to a good cause to help with Ollie's medical oh, bills. Absolutely. Yeah. So, absolutely. Um, yeah, please, everybody, if you even if you feel that you you haven't got a little bit of money that you can donate or buy this, share it. Just share mm. it. That will be helping immensely. Yes. Just pop it onto your page. Also, I just want to go back to thanking the person that found the demo of Max Q. I think we ended with that last week. Jeez, some person had it in their lockup and all of a sudden it reappears. I know. It's sort of a bit like the uh, the missing evidence in the JFK trial, isn't it? Mm. Trying to find the, uh, the Max Q masters because I think if, if people are listening to our podcast series in order, well, you know, you know, some hundred episodes or so ago, the Max Q episode were like, well, you know, who's got the rights to this and who's going to re-release it? Well, I think we've unearthed that little little nugget and gem. And um, imagine that, getting a re-release of Max Q, having some of the studio, uh, you know, Sonics there, you know, digitally remastered, having some B-sides, some dance tracks. It'd be fantastic uh, to give that sort of another sort of uh, uh, life too. And he mentioned there's a couple of songs that didn't get on there that might go on there this time. So it's very exciting. <laughs> That's all right. Now, B, I have to ask about your NXS week, and I haven't spoken about this, but I wonder if it's going to come up when you talk about your NXS week. So I will handball to you and tell the listeners what's come across your desk in your NXS week. I want to just close the door on my NXS week because I felt like I had a, a bucket of water thrown on my passion for NXS. And I'm just going to go over here and show you I've actually created a list. It's brilliant. All right. So are you ready? Because I know yes. you like a good list. Okay. List, so we've yes. just hit 150. So I thought I'd go through and look at our guest list oh, okay. of all the guests that we've had on. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah, and then I just thought I'd list out what episodes they're all on as well okay. so people right. can go back. And I thought it might be a little game for you to see if you can oh. remember what order they go in. So I'm going to start right Oh, right, okay. You. Okay, you ready? Can I check my, can I check my buzzer? No, no. Oh, okay. you can't ask a friend and you can't check your phone. <laughs> can't. My buzzer. Your buzzer. <laughs> yeah, you can hit your buzzer. Okay. okay, so our first guest, you've got to remember that one. Our first guest? Was it Nick Egan? Hey, no, no, no. It was a, it was a, it was the don't change, uh, don't change yes. friend. It was Blair Dwyer from yeah. um, Don't Change the yeah. Ultimate in Excess, and that was at yeah. episode five. That we, we did. We we were that might have gone four or five hours. And yes, I think Blair had about four bottles of wine, and and you did too. And I was on lemonade, and uh -huh. we had to create Zoom that night. I think didn't we it, to get yeah. so recorded? In, in fact. In fact, Hayden, I've been going through our old files and I right. found our very first Zoom track, um, Zoom, oh. Zoom chat. And you are so excited oh. to tell me how clever you are. 
all right. <laughs> you so wanted to get some appreciation. B, how clever am I getting a Zoom chat together? It's quite well, weird. anyone who knows me would know that, you know, even even over operating an Uber account on an app, I, I don't know how to do. So uh, thank you for that. I was probably being very, very uh, proud of something I did. Uh, okay. Me. Our second guest was Richard Simpkin. Right. Yeah. I think that was a two, two-parter, two wasn't that it? That was a two-parter. 15, so 16, 17? Oh, nearly. Yeah. So 16, 17. Okay, yep. Okay, our third one was yep. Clemo, David Clement. About 21, 22. He was number 23. So okay, just close. for everybody there, David was the guy that um, had the lockup that the um, the in excess actually um, went and record, yep. not recorded, rehearsed in. Yes. Okay, who is number four? And Fast Cars and Rock Stars, the book. And, and uh, yes, and yes. in fact, he's, he's doing another one. So okay. Fun. Okay, what, who came in at four? Nick Eager? It did, it did. Okay. So he came in and we um, we went straight into kick, didn't yes, we? we did. Yeah, and that was 26 and 27. Yeah. You won't remember the next one because you didn't do this one. This was with Chuck Feldman. Do you remember Chuck? I do Be- remember Chuck, yeah, yeah, from Chicago. From Chicago. And I, yeah. I want to mention Chuck because his father's just passed away. So oh, okay. we want to say um, a big um, condolences to um, Chuck. And he was in at 39 talking about his time with Michael. So and he's still good friends with them all. Okay. Who came in number six? Uh, you talk about him every episode. Mark opens. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. It's yes. not, a, not a, an episode goes by that he does not get a mention. Okay. And okay. His, his debut was at 41 and 42. Right. Okay. Okay. And then another guy that I'm not sure if you remember, Sean Dixon. He yes, was from Super the Super Dragon. Yeah. That one. Yep. Yeah. He came in at number 43. Okay, yep. and then we had Nikki can come back on again to talk right. about the X album at forty-five. Right. Then Mary Woods, forty-seven. The yes. um, the the um, in excess collection. My goodness. Yep. And then Marco Pitts reappears with Live Baby Live. Now this yes. is when I was having my hip operation. And this was a Vogue. this 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 was a recording <laughs> nightmare where it kept cutting oh out, and uh, somehow we contrived a, a forty-five minute episode. Yep. I don't know how. Right. Like, like I do apologise for that episode too. So um, we might have to re-record uh, that one. We might have to do that again. Yeah. Although we did we did the Live Baby Live uh, justice with the Wembley thirty year thing with uh, Cameron Adams later. And Mark and yeah, and Nick Egan jumped on that one. It was yeah. in a great, it was in a fantastic mood that night. Nick, yeah, you did, you did, and and straight away while I was recovering, we had Tim Ferriss, and I had to do this recording from my bedroom. I remember, and right. that was in at fifty six and fifty seven. Then we yep. had Mark and Nick on together to do Wembley at fifty nine sixty, and Philip Mortlock came in thirteenth. He was sixty eight and sixty nine, and that was yep. about. Wing album. Then, who came in after Philip? Uh, Kirk. Well done, Hayden. Yeah. yeah. So fourteenth yep. place, we have Kirk. He had a three-parter. He was our yep. three-parter at 70, yep. 71 and seventy-two. Then, I can't believe this. I mean, it's lovely that we had Marco Pitts on, but with Andrew. We never yes. had Andrew by himself. No, but I think that was still a great one. It was one of yeah. That, I mean, you know, where Andrew must have given us three or four hours in his mm. hotel room, you know, that day, mm. and we went through welcome and everything there, didn't we? You know, yeah, it's fantastic. So that was yeah. number seventy six, seventy seven, seventy eight. Yeah, and then I had this a lovely guy who was karate man. 
um, the ninja, um, Simon Yeo, in at 16, and that was yeah, a really good friend of John's, and that was in at, at episode 82. Yep. Then can you remember who after that? What's the number? He would be our 17th, the 92nd episode. Okay, I don't think it was a band member. Uh, How about you- if I wore sunglasses? Richard Clapton? <laughs> Richard Clapton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, 58 episodes ago. Yeah, I mean, that, that feels like yesterday. Okay. I know, I know. Okay, and then we lost Shane Warne and you got in touch with Timmy and yes. you and Timmy yeah. did. That was really nice. Yeah. So, yeah, that yeah, was lovely. That, yeah, that mm. one, I was in my land. I was in my bedroom that time, I think, with oh. getting away from the kids and trying you, to You were Wi-Fi. in bed with Timmy. Oh, my well, goodness. Well, yeah, yeah, figuratively speaking. <laughs> and then... Who rocks in? Darren Jones, right on our 100th and yep. 101, actually. And then we had the return of Mark Opet for Full Moon in at uh, yep. episode 104 and 105. Then Richard Lowenstein, um, yes. our 21st guest there, um, 112 and 113. Yep. Then one of my favorites as well, Chris Cafaro, yes. gorgeous man. And that was number 117, 118. Yep. Then who was after that? I reckon around that time we might have gone to Johnny Ferris. He he's actually involved in um the new rooms for the memories. Oh, we would have had our friend Nick Lorne. He was Nick yes. Lorne. Yes. So episodes one hundred. It was great. Yeah. A, yeah, a lot of people have said that yes. was one of their favourites. Actually, yeah. views guests. Um, and that was one hundred twenty-one, one hundred twenty-two. Then yep. we have you go. You tell me. John Farris. I was beating my John job. Farris. Okay. Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> and he was a three-parter of 126, 27, and 28. Yes. Then we had Danny on, Danny Saber. That was interesting yep. as well. So we had yep. him in and we did 133 and 134. Nick E was yeah. on that one too, wasn't he? Yeah. Nick G came Nick back well. a little yep. bit. Yeah. And then we had Gary Beers. Yes. You know, we asked Gary why he was called Gary. Well, Gary twice, you mean. Yeah, Gary Gary. Yeah. I really know the reason he's called Gary Gary because their manager at the time was called Gary. So there was Gary and then there was Gary Gary. Right, okay. See? Okay, that distinction. Makes sense now, okay. doesn't it? Mm. All right, bring it home. Bring home the last couple of guests. All right, the last ones were Michael Browning, 144. And then we had Sandy talking about John at 146. Della Coma from the Australian In Excess show at 148. And our gorgeous guest that we're going to have part two of today is Bruce Butler. Awesome. Well, look, that is a very handy sort of audio table of contents. If you want to go back and uh, any of those guests pique your interest, uh, you now know who they are and uh, can go back and dive deep because... Um, again, you know, one of the great things about, you know, podcasting is you don't have to listen in order. You know, you might have some episodes that appeal to you more than others. Um, but we think some of those guests on uh, really opened up the, the floor in conversation and really shed some great insights. So thank you for compiling that list, B. We love a good list. Me too. Now, let me throw to you very quickly. You very humbly haven't spoken about your tweeting between you and Rob Thomas. What's going on there? So is that Rob himself or Rob's fan club? Because he's got a blue tick. I saw a response to you inviting him. So so tell us that you were very coy on that. Okay, right. So in the last episode, we talked and you said, get in touch with the band. And I said, no, we should talk to Universal. Do you remember? Yes. So, and then all of a sudden, I'm looking, it's funny, isn't it? How things happen. Mm. I looked at my phone and mm. there was on Twitter, 
um, Rob Thomas. So I thought, right, is my chance. Yes. <laughs> so I put I put in an invite. But since then, I've actually got a friend in the business who worked with Rob Thomas a few years ago, and she's given me a load of pointers. So hopefully. Keep our fingers crossed. We yes. will get an, a little interview with Rob Thomas because well, you know we might better get John Ferris on again at the same time. John is cl- pretty close with Rob, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they would love to have a bit of a collaborative sort of thing. So who knows? Who knows? But um, B, we want to uh, rock along ahead. We're going to welcome our patrons aboard who have uh, made the show possible. So over to you to welcome them for this episode. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary members. Tim Farris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkins, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones and Paul Jolie. Our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Carrier, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa, Yvonne, Amanda H, Amanda V... David, Tracy, Paul Buckley, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Jim, Kelly, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Lori, Jill, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Tracy, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vern, Shane, Lachlan, Mandy, Rachel, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diana and Paula. And our special mentions are to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis, Paul Boozy and Jay Finlayson. Welcome to the podcast. Right, B, well, it's time for Topic of the Week. We're going to be going into a bit more detail with Bruce Part 2 today. And one of the things we just would want to disclose with all of our guests, and we love the fact that Bruce opened up, you know, through our discussion with him, like a lot of our guests, but Bruce's truth is his truth, you know, and he's going to open up on a few things today, you know, a couple of controversial things, but that's the reality of his existence, and he was there in, uh, at that particular point. Not everybody will actually also be able to, you know, agree with someone's truth. They might go, well, actually, my version's this. But, you know, we love the fact that our guests do open up and we give them a forum to talk. We're not there to judge whether it's right or wrong or whatever. We're just there to appreciate that they were there at a time experiencing left, right and centre what was going on and that they're sharing uh, all their anecdotes, uh, both fun and, and enthusiastically and also controversial ones with us because, you know, we're just talking. No one's going to uh, keel over and die from a discussion, are they, B? And we, we love Bruce's honesty and, and uh, his experiences. So without further ado, uh, B, it's time for... Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Thanks, Tim. And now it's time for Topic of the Week. Welcome back, Bruce. What was your favourite track of the Max Q album? Um, the track Concrete. I can't I can't really go past that. I just love that song. Um, I think it's one of Michael's best vocal performances ever. Mm. It, uh, you know, it really stirs me up. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's that's certainly one. 
Oh, I should reach behind and grab the <laughs> album. Well, I'll throw a few songs. There's uh, Buckethead, there's Soul to Soul, uh, sorry, Soul Engine, um, Hot Van Rot, Off the Top of My Head, Sometimes, Ghost to the Year. That, yeah. that, that was potentially going to be um, a single. So, yeah, Ghost of the Year was one that was in contention for a single. And, yeah, uh, yeah I do love that song. I think that's actually a really good uh, example where Ollie's had a really good song and – Michael's influence on that song is really strong. It's a it's a great marriage of the two of them. So yeah, Ghost of the Year I love. Ollie's lyrics are great, but Michael's pop sensibilities really bring it to life and and change the whole emotion of how I originally heard the song. Yeah, Ghost of the Year probably after Concrete would be my number two. You're making me eliminate Way of the World and sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think you know. Yeah, I, I mean, if you had any influence on the singles that got released, I think you nailed the three singles that, that were there. I mean, uh, I mean, why the world and sometimes is a one-two punch were just fantastic. Monday Night by Satellite was starting where Ollie was going with his next project, Third Eye. It's, it was more that trancey sort of dance. The video went from being Richard, who did the first two. Uh, to being a guy called Jeff Jaffers who um, did a lot of work with our Psy Harmonics label and Third Eye with the you know those uh, Mandelbrot set graphics that we used. So that was sort of a transitional phase into Ollie's next project. By the time Monday Night by Satellite came out, I don't think that got released anywhere else in the world other than Australia as a single because by that stage, Chris Murphy had started sending out letters to the record companies and promotions people overseas saying, do not make Max Q a hit. If you make Max Q a hit, In Excess will break up and you'll never get any more In Excess records. At that stage, and I won't name the person, but because uh, they're still around and they're, they're a, a, a friend, someone got a copy of the facts that Murphy had sent out saying exactly that, kill Max Q, and they forwarded that to Ollie. And Michael was extraordinarily unhappy because this was his project. There was no fear that he was leaving in excess. This was a side thing. So Michael was very, very unhappy, but Ollie was furious. For the ARIA Awards that year, uh, Monday Night by Satellite had been nominated for Video of the Year. So Ollie and myself, I was, I was there with them at their table. Uh, we were invited up. For the awards and we, we went to Sydney. Ollie Ollie went into Chris Murphy's office and absolutely chucked a fit. I won't go into what happened, but he had his arm in being and all bandaged up. He didn't, you know, he didn't attack Chris or anything, didn't harm anybody. Um, Ollie wouldn't do that, more likely to harm himself, but he just, you know, just said, how could you do this? And so we're sitting there in the ARIA Awards too and, uh, you know, the five songs that are nominated come up and clearly Monday Night by Satellite was the best song and the best innovative video. It was like, you know, very innovative for the time. And the song that won or the video that won was 1927, their song that revolves around sitting in the backyard with the hills hoist going around. Certainly interesting time.
this is a, an aged old broader context conversation that is the the record companies are so fearful that you know someone's going to do like a wham George Michael who said he was not planning on going solo and went off and became a solo artist and I think you know what you would know about Michael from an early age and what we have only gleaned through 30 40 guests is that he was, I think, a person of genuine credibility. I think he genuinely loved the band, mate, his bandmates, yep. and he just wanted to go explore himself musically and come back to the band. The trust factor should have been there. Yes, and unfortunately, look, the circumstances at the time was not just Chris Murphy. It was an internal band yeah. issue, worrying about Michael, yeah. and I think it dates back to what I was saying when, when that ruse for the memory was heard for the first time. It was like, oh, my God, he can do something outside of In Excess and it's bloody good. So, you know, I mean, if Andrew Ridgely had gone out and done something solo from Wham, I don't think anyone would have been upset. I but, think he was on Countdown Revolution, Andrew Ridgely. Uh, oh, I, I've got a great story there because we did And he had a show. cowboy hat on singing a song about a red dress or something. Is that true? <laughs> That, that is true. Is that true? But do you remember we, we, filmed that, we filmed that show, we picked the smallest town in Victoria and it was a place called Chinkapook <laughs> and Chinkapook had a population I think of about 17 and we set up a huge stage in Chinkapook we took the whole production crew there. We flew Andrew Ridgely into Chinkapook by helicopter and we put on this big show and we had, I, I will say hundreds, but potentially thousands of kids came from every regional or area around. It was Mildura way. Um, and we put on this massive show in the middle of nowhere. It was right on the Salt Lakes in the middle of Victoria. And, um, yes, Andrew Ridgely, unfortunately, was the biggest artist I could get. Um, and, uh, well, and it yes, was 19, 1990 and Wham peaked in 85. Chinkapook probably thought it was uh, pretty relevant and contemporary. Oh, they, they loved it, yeah. And, and you know, we had, um, you know, we had about eight eight bands play, I think. It was, it was a big deal yes. in a very small town. And the ABC thought we were bloody insane. Um, <laughs> and and I think we were, but it was it was a lot of fun. We almost killed Andrew, though, because the helicopter almost crashed. But that's that's another story. But you won't, you won't get and, this one, B, but that's our seven cents a day working uh, for the ABC, isn't it, as a citizen? In fact, it was all spent at the pub in Chinkapoo. Shake you Whip you up a frenzy in your heart I'm gonna break you Make you wish you loved me from the start Yeah, like a ragdoll baby I'm gonna pay you, shock you later Then I'm gonna shake you baby girl Oh my baby girl Interesting thing you said on the bus, you know, getting back to when they heard Rooms for the Memory is um, 
I, I can understand Andrew Farris, particularly, I know around Max Q. I mean, there was no internet in those days. The band went off for a year. There was no mobile phones. I mean, I mean, everybody was triple arms length from each other that year. And he just happened to turn on, you know, maybe recovery or whatever that morning mm. and saw the, you know, the sometimes clip away of the world and, he was like, I never knew that. And and then, you know, why are you trying all these new vocals that you didn't try in excess? And it is a bit like your partner going to another dance with another bloke, isn't it? Yeah. So I sort of understand that, but it's still, you know, let them grow, they'll come back, you know? Because they weren't, they, they weren't talking much at the time because they weren't putting together an in excess album, yeah. so quite right. Yeah. Michael was living the other side of the world. So yeah. it's not like the old days in the, the 80s that, you know, we're all living in Sydney and, all at each other's house all the time. Andrew used to come around to my house regularly and he'd go, this week I'm borrowing all your Doors albums and, um, <laughs> and now I'm taking all your Velvet Underground records. And oh, so I, yes, I, because I have seen you in your living room in the 80s. Oh, my God, Hayden, just so many. How many records did you have? Around 10,000 albums. 10,000. <laughs> and about 5,000 seven-inch singles. So that so that that's like a a triple loft in uh, Sydney Harbour, ten thousand elms. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had a reasonably big house in in Neutral Bay, and I got audited by the tax office one year. <laughs> my accountant claimed my record collection as a research tool wanted depreciation on my collection, and I got a guy from the tax department turn up one day and he goes, "Oh, Mr. Butler, um, you know, you've put in this claim, um, and you've you've said you've got ten thousand vinyl records. You know, <laughs> we, we need to audit you." And I yes. said, "I'll come in." And he just he walked into the room and he stood there and he went, "Chick." Yes. And he just, <laughs> he just kicked his list and said, thank you very much. Um, he, he went like the old record fan. He flicked a couple and goes, that's about 10,000. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, um, I stopped you talking about Andrew coming around and taking the doors out. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, Andrew, you know, and Andrew was, you know, he just absorbed music. His personal experience with music was fairly... Yeah, you know, normal, I have to say, whereas mine was very eclectic. I mean, my personal background was, you know, I was a punk in the 70s, went and lived in London and hung out with all those people. I had a very eclectic collection. So if you wanted to listen to, I mean, The Doors was fairly obvious. I mean, the day that I spent with Michael at his mum's house, you know, the, our first meeting, um, he had a poster of Jim Morrison on the wall. You know, there was no doubt that Michael idolised Jim Morrison. So... Yes. Um, yeah, and the other poster I remember was Mick Jagger. So, you know, and then in between the two was the mirror. So, you know, uh, <laughs> no, that was that was the rehearsal space. Uh, Jim Morrison, Michael Jackson, uh, Mike, Michael Jackson, God, Mike, Mick Jagger, me. I, I'm, yeah, so. Brilliant. Um, I could see where all that was <laughs> But, um, yeah, Andrew just absorbed music. He wanted to hear more and more. But. He, you know, like a lot of really proficient musicians, they sort of, by a certain stage, they're in a certain mindset. Michael found with Ollie was a whole different mindset, an, an experimental mindset, not trying to distill things into a particular commercial package. Although, funnily enough, Michael did that a bit with Ollie. He took some of that extreme avant-garde elements of Ollie's music and did commercialise it, which is why it worked so well. It was that meeting of those two things. But with Michael and Andrew, 
you kept coming up with that commercial sound. There was no real experimentation. So well, I, think when, I think after the Max Q, when Michael and, and Andrew reconvened, obviously they had the XL, which was probably an extension of kick, but they really did yeah. start to try some new things in the early 90s, you know, within excess. And I think I think Michael sounded just much better as a vocalist well, after the time with Ollie, and he, he was able to go back in and be more confident, particularly on the Welcome album. We've had Mark Opens yeah. come on, and Michael really spearheaded a lot of the – the artistic direction of the Welcome album. He was very confident in what he was doing. He was a lot more confident in his vocals. He'd had the experience with Max Q and came back a more proficient musician. Yeah, I, look, I agree. I and think Michael he, did he say, honestly um, believed, and, and Michael did say, so at the the wake uh, after Michael's funeral, you know, I think it was really a beautiful moment because Kel, uh, Michael's dad, came up to Ollie and said, look, I've got to thank you because Michael said, his time with you, he learned more, he loved more um, and and became more involved in the potential of music. Um, and Kel paid Ollie a very beautiful tribute because um, Michael had shared that with his father, that um, yeah. you know, that experience with, with Ollie was very, very important to him. And, yes, I agree. He took that and that's, that's where in excess should have – accepted what Michael was doing because it's like, you know, oh, he's gone off to university and he's he's done a degree in something and he's going to bring that knowledge yeah. back to us. Yeah. And that's really what it was. It was like Andrew borrowing records from me mm. and saying, oh, I've listened to John Cale playing the viola on, on the Velvet Underground. How can we use that kind of idea of a drone you know, in one of our songs. Andrew was doing that himself internally because Michael went outside of In Excess to to find that. Hmm. Um, I think that was where the fear was, that he might not come home. The thing is, as you say, I totally agree. I think Michael's come back with what he's learned from not just working with Ollie, but the other people. I mean, Max Q was a group of musicians that, sort of represented different parts of the Melbourne experimental avant-garde music scene. Though none of them were conventional pop musicians. And I think Mike learned a lot from the whole experience, not just just Ollie, but you know, primarily as a singer, yeah, from Ollie. from listening to a lot of musicians, particularly those in the 70s uh, and into the 80s, the actual sort of uh, juggernaut, like particularly the Eagles, you know, they, they asked to give some advice years later. They said, we should have just had a longer break. And I think, you know, the artists in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, they were really driven by the record companies to, you know, tour, album, record, tour, album, record. And it became consecutive. I mean, look at the Beatles. They did that in seven years, which is still the most uncanny statistic. When we look back to NXS and Michael and Andrew, that particular age, and Ollie himself, they were in their late 20s. You know, they were young. Exactly. And they were all starting to have families. And, um, you know, that that's a whole other dynamic. When you're in a band, and particularly a band that wasn't all living on top of each other. Yeah. Initially, they were. And in the... So I moved up to Sydney um, with CBS Records in 82. 
moved in next door to Kirk because um, Kirk's girlfriend at the time, Karen, who you know, you know. so Karen and, and my girlfriend Zara were best mates from Melbourne. So we got houses next to each other so we could babysit Karen while Kirk was on tour. Everyone was, you know, there and together. But by by the time you're talking about, they all had different lives. There was mm. other things they wanted to explore, whether that was family or other music or travel, you know, just not and traveling not on a bus with, you know, mm-hmm. five other guys and a road crew. Mm-hmm. And they were doing more touring than anyone I ever, ever, ever came across. They were on the road more than anybody. Did Ollie ever get an aria? No. Um, he didn't even get a gold record. The Max Q album went gold. CBS Records did make a gold record award. I, I can remember it was quite a large one. And it sat on the floor in an office in the CBS offices in Sydney. It was never even given to Michael. And after he died, it disappeared. Someone souvenired it. But they never made one for Ollie. So he's, he's never really received an award for anything. Um, Let's work together and see what we can uh, collaborate and uh, get things going. With this uh, song and and just, you know, you've got a fantastic resume, you know, without patronising. I mean, you... Man, we haven't talked about the church who you managed, and that that would be another four-hour episode talking about the trials and tribulations of working with Steve Kilby. I'm sure, who I love and I think is a character. But we'll park all that for another time, hopefully. But the ability to take a song now with all your knowledge behind the scenes and things like Adelita, fantastic, you know, the Nicolone, you know, the song itself, the homage to Michael, the Ollie, you know, lyrics and things. Can this song, outside getting some airplay and Triple R and Triple J in places, can it get into some mainstream radio? Is Or is that just too much of a bridge to pass these days? Or is it possible this could get some sort of release? Because some songs just take off if they're given the right support, as we know, you know? Yeah, well, um, as I mentioned really early on, we've got a couple of really good high-profile professional commercial radio and media publicists working with this. Um, Frank Ferrasso, as I say, who did the Mystify promotion and publicity. We've had a good long talk about commercial radio. He believes that they will support it. He's not 100% convinced that maybe they'll play Adelita's version on you know things like the triple m radio stations or whatever yeah you're right the triple r's and pbs's in melbourne hmm. and the fbi's in sydney and triple z's in brisbane no question they'll, they'll play they'll play the whole six seven minutes of it you know what i mean so we've, we have done a radio edit the first track on the ep is meant for commercial radio it is an edited version of the song we feel that there is a chance the other thing that we've got on this record is the new version of Michael's vocal. Now got all the multi-tracks as well of all the Dogs in Space recordings. So that there's another story and another potential future release. Nick Lornay has gone back to those original multi-tracks and done a completely new mix of Michael's version. For me, it's a much better version. I was always a bit disappointed that Michael's vocal was buried too much in the original Dogs in Space mix. As Nick was working on this, he sent through, you know, his version one, his version two. I think we got up to about version six. And, you know, finally, 
you know, I said, and I, I think a couple of other people put in their their comments as well. Let's get Michael's version. You know, get that vocal above the music. And for me, this new version is just. You know, it's heaven. It's just opened up. The music itself is less dense. It's, you know, there's more, cl- and that's a lot to do with obviously modern technology has made it possible to do yes. that. If you look at some of the commercial radio stations now, they're, they're all fixated with, you know, classic hits of the 80s and 90s anyway. There's possibly a good chance that they will adopt the Michael version to play. Interesting question. Is there a chance we could do a sort of a, and Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole, we could we could put Michael and Adelita on a version. That would be given some marketing uh, uh, prowess. Ah. Um, okay, well that that idea hadn't come up. Uh, let let me put that to the committee. You have to well, go back. Uh, they've already they've got the they've got the pressings happening, Hayden. You can't well, do it now. Future, yes. I'm just like old meets new. Adelita, it's it's marketing. It's Michael. It's a bit like me. the Bono and Michael. You mean? Yeah, absolutely. These days, I'd hate to see Adelita miss yeah. out. Given she's gone and put all this work in, maybe you could put the two together. You know. Yeah. Well, a, a, another wow. little bit of exclusive for you. Speaking of that idea, no, we haven't got that in mind. But the potential to even do a video of Adelita with all the masses of footage that was shot on that day. Richard has also got all the not outtakes from the original Rooms for the Memory shoot, but a lot of outtakes from around that time of Michael. And you didn't hear it from me, but there could be a brand new video of Michael doing Rooms for the Memory. <laughs> that, was, that was a uh, quite great... In excess... <laughs> In excess, excess hilarious with a live exclusive. Oh my god! So many exclusives coming out <laughs> this episode, and we've also got Cav Template um, coming out on this potential. Is it? Would it okay, be EP. So that's a potential single as well. So I was talking yesterday with David Williams, who's the record label that's releasing this, and the potential of Cav maybe doing a video. There's certainly interest in his version of Win Lose. Again, because he's from Eskimo Joe, they've got quite a high profile commercial radio and his version is very commercial. We've got Ollie's original version of Win Lose on there, but which I still prefer. But Cav's version is, you know, it is very poppy. It's very commercial. It's very clean and radio friendly. Frank has said, that when he's going around to radio, he, he asked me, he said, do you mind if, you know, we say to radio, well, there's Adelita's, you know, there's Michael's, maybe you want to play Cav. It's potential that they might say, well, we don't like grooves for the memory at all, but Cav's win-lose is, you know, right up our alley. So hmm. who knows? The, the reason for this project is to sell records, make money for Ollie, to help him with his medical expenses. I don't care how we sell them. And if, you know, if if Cav turned out to be the hit, so be it. You know, it has the same end result. I'm just happy that, you know, Cav volunteered to do it. I mean, we yeah. had a few people. Paul Dempsey was originally slated to do win-lose. Yeah. He had uh, offered to do it. And we had studio time set up, but unfortunately... Some things came up and uh, he he had to pull out at the last minute, um, but he really, really wanted to do it. And 
Uh, I think he would have been great. And I know Ollie was, you know, very excited about Paul doing it. I did mention to you already, B, there was this uh, Melbourne girl called Olympia. She's been around for a while. I, I actually looked up some clips the other day and uh, saw her performing on Rockwiz with Paul Dempsey, of all people. Oh. It was bizarre. So it's her and Paul Dempsey nine years ago on Rockwiz doing Rocking the Free World with Brian Cadd. If you look up Olympia on Rockwiz, that's actually a great clip to get an idea of how she sings. It also has her playing guitar. Um, she would have done a really good version of it, but again, timing just wasn't right. Mm. Um, and there's there's a couple of other versions of Win Lose that are already out there. There's a local guy goes by the name of Coco Rosie, and his his version's really good, and he's a huge Ollie fan. But yeah, that you know, again, it just there was a it's, lot of time issues. You know, we could have done a whole win lose. Yeah, I did love Ollie's version. Ollie's voice is just superb in that. Yeah. Now, I've just had another interesting idea, Rock Quiz. I, I just had a memory. I actually was on Rock Quiz and, and I was sitting next to Adelita on Rock Quiz. She was my teammate. Oh, wow. Yes, with John Paul Young. <laughs> um, maybe That's we get, epic. yeah, this is 12 years ago, but maybe we could get Adelita, we could do a Rock Quiz to Ollie Olsen, although, you know, maybe he's not as high profile enough given they've done stuff for you know, the uh, Vanner and Young and a few other people and things like that. But, uh, you know, on a more serious level, we, we could, uh, within our podcast community, definitely create a, a sort of a scenario where we could distribute some some uh, recordings out, you know, and, and get a fee through to Ollie, fully fully to Ollie and, and get that out there to him because what will happen is that we probably get a 1,000 people listening to this each episode over time, some more, some fractionally less. But these particular ones I think would resonate quite a lot. And I think around the world we've got – bit of a reach into America, England, Europe, you know, Asia, Brazil, you know. We get a lot of listeners all around the planet because of NXS's global appeal. But the Max Q1 has been a very curious one from overseas. If there's anything we can do to help, we're just putting ourselves out there. Mm. Well, I appreciate that and I can say thank you from Ollie. Um, I did speak to Ollie today as well, so uh, he said to say thank you personally. Also, B, um, you need to send me that wording because he has agreed. Hayden doesn't know. I've asked Ollie if he if he's up to it that he'll do us a, a voice promo uh, oh, right in the show, and he said, "Yeah, lovely." Yeah. yeah, yeah. So thank you, Ollie. So I, we love, love him to listen to the episode because it really is a homage to Ollie. And when we reached out, I think I tried to reach out on Facebook a couple of times, maybe eighteen months ago, two years ago. But um, I understood through Richard, I think uh, he'd had some struggles, you know, just with his health and yeah. things in the last couple of years. And, and so. He, he, He's not. He's not on social media. No, I think he uh, was. I mean, I, I think his Facebook page is still there, but yeah, um, he doesn't he, doesn't, he, doesn't yeah. check it. So we 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 stopped that, and I think then once we realised Jane had done the Go GoFundMe, we we were like just excited to have an interview in the community that he got to speak, you know, yep. and get his message out there accordingly. And Jane, you know, through the interview, I think we were able to promote that a bit and get people to listen to it and. Yeah, I think the Max Q stuff. If there's anything that can, can uh, or this project itself, I should say, uh, can be distributed to help Ollie, I think we'd have a lot, a lot of people very engaged to do that. Obviously, with Max Q, this will be a, a first port of call um, when there's something concrete on that. Um, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and the other project that I mentioned is a potential new Dogs in Space album. So. Obviously, uh, that would have 
new recorded material. Certainly Michael's tracks would all be nicely redone. Yeah, so that that's on the back burner as well. A telephone, a chair, a memory But there's nothing left to this clue Time stands still, remember A thought or two lingers on questions you wanted to tie up on your end yes please talking about the record i spoke to you um earlier about if we could get some signed copies if possible and some um, limited from the limited edition and that we would as a podcast raffle those so we could put all the proceeds back to ollie's foundation was that something that you could sort of organize for us bruce yeah look um i I spoke to David at the record label yesterday after I spoke to you because it was the phone call where he rang me and said, we're not going to get the release date just after I'd finished talking to you. So yeah, last night turned upside down, but we talked about the limited edition ones. So Hayden, for your information, there was a miscut of the record and it was cut at the wrong speed. They did the um, original acetate as a 45. What we're going to do is we're going to use that acetate to press some limited edition 45 RPM colored vinyl copies. So the regular ones will be black and uh, 33. So there will be a limited edition and I will attempt to get a couple of those for you. I will get Ollie to um, sign them. We're getting uh, everyone together. I think I mentioned this. We're going to get everyone involved together to show everyone the video and listen to the record at the same time. So while I've got everyone together, you know, I might try and get, you know, Adelita and, you know, Mick Harvey and Andrew Duffield or whatever to add their names to it as well. Brilliant. um, Fantastic. Thank you. Yes. I mean, you know, we've got the CDs. Not the, you know. We we sold a, a I sent a message. Um, it looks great. We sold a I sent a message. Uh, single was it eight hundred dollars? B like a like I a know full one. Yeah, I mean thousand dollars or something. Yeah, we've done auctions and raffles. Um, I mean we could do an auction. That's that's easy enough to do as well. But yeah, we've the highest one I think was a thousand dollars. We sold one. There's so three or four regular bidders, isn't there, B, who yeah. have the price up, thankfully. Because we're self-funded, have no help from the record company or anybody. This is a way that we fund ourselves, but we will give all the proceeds for that that signed copy that you give us right back into the foundation for you. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I I know I can supply that. 
Thank you. So it will be closer to the release date because I don't know when I'm going to get the stock, but you know, getting it signed won't be hard. So how can our listeners order copies? Is there going to be like a pre-order, a way to pre-order? There will be a pre-order link. There'll be a, a website which will possibly both MGM Distribution, their website, um, and DRW Entertainment, that's the record label. There will be a link on one or both of those for pre-orders. I will have that information the moment we get the new uh, test pressing and David and I listen to it and go, yep, thumbs up, start pressing them, the pre-order link will appear that evening. Um, because when we know that it's being pressed and when we'll get it, um, we'll put the pre-order up. Just in case, you know, we get the test pressings this Friday, we approve it on Monday or we don't approve it because something else has gone wrong with it. Yeah. I, I have been in situations where I've gone through six test pressings before we've approved one. Mm-hmm. This one sounds fantastic. Um, it, it just it's at the wrong speed. And the reason why that makes a difference because Zenith Records said, well, why don't you just change the label to 45 and press them at 45? Now, 45 does sound better than 33, like it is a better audio signal. But the this record is over 15 minutes a side or around 15 minutes each side, which is a bit too long to put on the vinyl. It lessens the volume because of the way that the tracks, the the groove has to be compressed a bit to fit that amount of time. Yeah. So a 12-inch single, which is one song, and it, even if it goes for seven minutes or something, you'll, you'll notice the groove is quite far apart. Yeah. But when you press it closer together, it reduces the volume and the bass response and so forth. So this the length of this is what's made us decide on 33. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a technical thing. Probably 99% of people wouldn't notice. Maybe I'm just a little bit pedantic when it comes to sound. Yeah, we want you to- You want to be- honour honor the artistic um, creation in its best form, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that's why we chose 33. But the 45 sounds great. I mean, I've got got my test pressing here and um, I love it. Um, I'm happy to play it and listen to it. So whoever buys a limited edition, they're probably not buying it to play it anyway. It's for the collection. And some would say putting it on coloured vinyl. Oh, coloured vinyl. It's, you know, it doesn't sound as good as black vinyl. What um, colour are you going to go for? Don't know. Um, in fact, I had meant to bring that up with David last night. Can, and, I, um, can I suggest a colour? Because I saw one the other day. Um, someone had an orange vinyl and it looked beautiful. <laughs> well, that'll go well in, du- yeah. in the Dutch in the uh, Dutchy connection. I know, it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 yeah, I, I like the idea of orange. I, I'm thinking though because you know the the rooms for the memory. You know the red, okay, ready. Mm. Um, you know we would probably go for the 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 red that she would look nice. The- yeah, yeah. Um, look nice too. But I don't know what the, what's I've forgotten what the label looks like. Oh yeah, it's exactly the same logo. Just mm. uh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it would yeah the ready pinky color yeah. Um, but so who you knows? are going to go digital at some point though with this. Is that right? 
it's it's potentially now that there's been a bit of a delay, we may actually put the Adelita single version up a couple of weeks early on Spotify. And I'll let you know in advance when that's happening. So one idea is that we do that, then just before the release, the physical release, we put Michael's version on Spotify and then, you know, they're sort of there to promote. On Friday, you can go out and you can actually buy the physical copies. So the physical copies are going to be sent into the stores prior to the 14th. So they will be available to buy on that day. And in Melbourne, we're hopefully having a, a launch at one of the Melbourne record stores. And um, if we can get Adelita, Mick Harvey, and possibly Ollie into the store um, on the day after release, so on the Saturday. Love to know when that is. Yeah. Yeah. You need to tell us about that. Yeah, I need to fly down for that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to be like I, a I, listening, listening party? We we don't know at the moment. If we can get, you know, Adelita and Mick Harvey to maybe even perform, a Andrew can always set up his keyboards too. He's very versatile. And, and in fact, I've seen um, Matt set up his drums in record stores for in-store appearances too. So we could have um, a you know, version of the band performing. Ollie, I have spoken to about this and is is up for it. Um, but it'll, it'll have to depend on the day. Um, and, yeah, he, he would come in and say hello to everyone, probably not hang around for long, but uh, we hope to get him down there. In a time. <laughs> Japanese for me. I'll be in touch when I have some updates. Thank Great. You. Thank you. Thank you for your time. A pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. This is Manny from the UK, and here is the news. All right, B. Well, news this week. Excitingly, it's actually 40 years this particular week where In Excess played at the Arts Festival and the actual whole festival was on Memorial Day weekend between the 28th of May and the 30th of May, 1983. A festival that was done uh, and set up, I think, by Steve Wozniak from Apple fame and Bill Bill Graham from uh, Woodstock fame and things. It sounds like an episode B, we could go back and revisit, particularly with Mark Opitz's uh, re-release last year. We didn't really do an episode on it. So again, yeah, 40th anniversary, such a pivotal concert for both in excess and uh, Men at Work and U2 and Bowie and all these other people who were there. Sorry, Hayden, did you see that there was um, a Spin magazine did a thing on it as well? That came across uh, my desk. Yeah, yeah. I Did you read the first bit? I thought it was quite interesting. It was by the musical director from David Bowie, and he was quoted saying, to me, Woodstock represented the end of an era, whereas the 83 Us Festival was the beginning. Mm. And it was a bit of a response to the 70s too. So uh, mm. uh, there is actually uh, some great articles that I'll share in a moment uh, that are out there about this, this concert of things. But um uh, and also, too, uh, the National Film and Sound and Archive uh, Organisation in Australia is a really uh, 
well, well-known setup that sort of chronicles really important pieces of artistic work and, uh, you know, everything to do with uh, media and, and wanting to sort of create posterity behind things. And there's two articles that uh, I think Michael did as uh, the heading says, In Excess Frontman, Australian Rock Legend, uh, including two of these rare interviews into the collection. I'd like to read just a little bit uh, of the blurb of the article, but it says, often compared to Jagger and uh, and Morrison, Mike Hutchins was a brilliant lyricist and extraordinary vocalist who had a stage persona that radiated sex appeal and beguiled audiences. If you were in Australia growing up in the 80s, chances are you had a poster of him hanging on your bedroom wall, perhaps lovingly rescued from a smash hits magazine. The article does proceed to, to grow and go on, but there obviously is a couple of these sort of interviews that are going into the National Film and Archive uh, set up. Uh, so well done to Michael with that and well done to the archive uh, recognising it as important works. Just like I think Don't Change and I think Original Sin are songs that have gone into the archive uh, as well. So that's something there that got recognised this particular week. Also too, I don't normally go through things like uh, buying merchandise and buying albums and things, but anytime I do see an EP for Decadence, whether it's the Shabu Shabar one or uh, it is the uh, the Swing one, I do like to reference it. And there was a little publication or a, an offer coming out on Discogs, which is an online um, uh, music sort of store. You can get the Shabu Shabar Decadence version for I think it's 30 bucks US plus postage and do encourage for collectors out there that haven't been able to get it or who would like a copy. Uh, it is on Discogs at the moment. So do yourself a favor. Also in terms of in excess articles in the landscape or uh, podcasts, there is a good uh, podcast out there called Rock in the Suburbs. Sounds a bit like the song from Ben Folds 5, but episode 1619 dedicates itself to the song Don't Change in excess. And the best platform to download that is on Audio Boom. Uh, so Rock in the Suburbs, there's a good sort of episode on Don't Change, uh, which you could do yourself a favour and listening into. Additional to that, there's another publication out there called Why Is This Song Good? Which I thought is a really cool name for a, an online publication. They do a big deep dive into Need You Tonight and Mediate. Uh, and really break down those two songs or the Coda's song of Mediate with Need You Tonight and give that uh, a, a really good sort of emphasis. Also to Michael Gadinsky, a name that's come across our podcast recently, B. The Melbourne uh, International Film Festival is going to launch the documentary on him uh, later this year. And the Teskey Brothers version of Never Tear Us Apart has been included in that particular movie as a dedication to Michael Gadinsky. So um, he was one of our big musical identities here that we've spoken uh, a lot about, who passed away a couple of years ago. And that's going to be something that will be included in on that documentary. Also, B, you said a bit about the article about the Spin magazine with regard to the uh, Arts Festival and things. There's been a lot of publications this week about it being 40 years and what that gig meant. And it was really interesting you said that what Woodstock was for one generation, what you know this was for the other. And ironically, the Steve Wozniak tie-in, think about, you know, the start of digital and computers and things, him being involved with that, which was, uh, 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 I think it was at San Bernardino in the valley there in sort of the back drops of LA there. So um, I think we should dive deep on that in the next few weeks because it's worthy of a deeper discussion. And the last thing I want to do is just give a bit of acknowledgement to all the hardworking cover bands out there. Um, some are friends of the podcast and they've been on, but uh, uh, I do know the uh, Australian In Excess show. These boys have been on a me media charm offensive B. Uh, I know at the time of recording uh, and the time of this release on June the 4th, uh, that they will have already probably duped out with uh, the boys from High Voltage. In a, uh, it's called the Grudge Match at Early Beach, In Excess versus ACDC. 
So I know Adam from High Voltage and uh, Dalacoma from uh, NXS are going to have a grudge match with the audience to decide the winners be. The dust tie into one of our podcasts we did two, three years ago. The Inexcessive guys are playing in Maryborough, and that's Maryborough in Victoria on the 15th of July. The Australian Inexcess boys are continuing their sojourn down south. They're going to be playing with the Acton Baby guys here in Melbourne at St Kilda on the 12th and 13th of August. So I might try to get to that one. And your good friends and friends of the podcast, Blair and the gang, uh, the Don't Change boys, uh, later in the year, they're playing on the 25th of November up in Brisbane. Say hello to our Brisbane friends and patrons, B, but they're at the Alex Hills Hotel in Brisbane. They're at Lazotte's next week on June the 9th. That sounds like a B trip down to uh, Newcastle. And they're also playing B where we went together to see in excessive at the end of last year uh, at Crown Casino at the Palms oh, on the 11th of August. I don't know if you know about that, but Blair and the yeah. gang have announced a gig at the Palms, which is at Crown Casino down here. Mm-hmm. Might be another reason to uh, get along. I think Mia was at the last show at the uh, the Palms, wasn't she? Is that right? Who? Oh, Mila. Oh, Mila. Mila. oh sorry, yeah. Mila. Uh, and your friend, Scotty. Scotty had come in from overseas that day. So uh, lots of gigs happening. And, um, and and the Australian Excess boys are taking up to the other bands, aren't they? They're getting around. Okay. Uh, they're doing a massive tour. So I know Blair and the gang. Imagine imagine having a big In Excess tribute show with all of them playing, yeah. competing against each other. That'd be pretty cool. Well, I mean, Dell. I can call yeah. him Dell now, by oh, the way. Right. Just there let you go. know. I can call him oh, Dell. Wow. So cool. Please don't need a sanctum, listeners. There you go. He keeps, yeah. he keeps saying, I can't wait to meet you. Does he call you Dal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dal and Dal. He mentioned, would there ever, do you, is there any in excess festivals? And I went, funny enough, that's something that I would love to create. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would absolutely. Love to create, especially with all these um, ones now. But I also said to him, I don't know if you've got anything to do with this, Dale, being on the TV twice in one week on the morning TV, but in excess, the best of. Are you going to mention that? Well, I... I, Number five. Yeah, but I I will say this just to be not a killjoy, but but it has been in the in excess Australian album chart for ages. And it's been, and same with the kick album, but it hasn't been in the ARIA top 40 albums or 50 albums. So, but yes, you're right. Acknowledging it that it is tricking back up in the Australian album charts with all, that's just Australian artists competing against Australian artists. That's not the overall chart. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't want to kill joy, but that's just a slight distinction there. It's not in the mainstream top 40, 50. It's just in the Australian charts. Makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. That's why kick is there too. Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, I think I think Kate Kate was up there, and uh, Midnight Oils were up, Correct. and the Vance, yeah, all the Aussie, all the Aussie bands, all the Aussies, gotcha. Yeah. Hey, this is Paul Jolly from Sydney, and this is the Big Rat. Right, well, that's a wrap. Uh, what under Bruce again? Uh, obviously, went to our news just then, but uh, gee, Bruce was fantastic. We might even have a little bit of leftover Bruce uh, we could add in later, a little backup vocal Bruce, a little bonus track Bruce for f- future episodes. We've still got some more content in our cutting room floor, haven't we, Dee? Yes. Thank you, Bruce, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure having some time with you there. I think we both absolutely enjoyed it and I'm sure um, we'll get some nice yeah. feedback for you and hopefully lots of sales. Like we keep saying, share this episode, yes. get onto our website. It's easy to share any episode that you like with all your friends, family and whoever. But yeah, um, there were some good pieces there, wasn't there, Hayden? What did yeah, you, oh, there were 100%. Andrew Lindley in the helicopter. <laughs> I 
I want to know more did, about that story. <laughs> well, he didn't get killed. He really could have. But I, I found myself Googling Andrew Ridgely songs after that. And I actually, to the YouTube, just look at that concert venue that Bruce said that he flew him into. And I, I was like, wow, he did get a crowd there. And yeah, it was interesting there just to see that. So, um, well, but uh, you probably uh, yeah, haven't heard the episode yet, Hayden. I did put one of Andrew's songs in there and it was called Shake It. Uh, and it's actually really good. I actually really enjoyed it. Oh, they will send well, that's what he played. That's what he mm. that's what he played at the uh, the live thing. So there you yeah, go. Really lovely. But um it. yeah. We're gonna go out today with a little bit of a tribute song and um just a little bit of news but when we recorded last week, it was only some twenty four hours later that uh, the world lost the lovely Tina Turner. So today we'd like to do a little bit of a double tribute song. I'm going to do one to Bruce and we're going to play a little excerpt, maybe a couple of minutes of Concrete, um, just for listeners to remind them of a song that Bruce loved on Max Q. Also, we're going to go out with uh, Tina Turner, who happened to do a live version, a cover song of NXS's new sensation, I think in Luxembourg in 1990. Now, there's no, uh, I think, visual footage of it because I think that might have been taken down, but there is the audio of it. And boy, does she sort of tinify the uh, version of New Sensation. So a bit like a proud Mary version of uh, Creedence Clearwater. She definitely tinas up the version of New Sensation and uh, she was a sensation as it was. And uh, as they uh, said, B, she was simply the best. And uh, we want to say uh, valet to her, uh, but also uh, it's a goodbye from me today. And it's a good fry for a good fry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody.
this is the Dutchie. And you've been listening to In Access, Access All Areas with Hayden and Bee.